the Soccer OG. Hi everybody, it's me, Max. Episode 152, got a great show for you ahead. We're going to be joined by Aaron West of CBS Sports Golasso, also of Copa 90 back in the day in Fox Sports. We're going to talk about uh, a few things, in particular, what happened with Vinicius and Real Madrid. This has been a really tough weekend for everyone, so we're going to muscle through this podcast. We're going to try and have fun and entertain and Maybe laugh about a couple things, but we're going to roll up our sleeves a bit and and talk about what happened there. We'll also talk what happened in El Salvador. I mean, the unfortunate part of all of this, as unfortunate as the Vinicius situation is, and the El Salvador Stadium Cuscatlan situation is, is that we in, in 2023 you see it in all vivid images, right? We we have video of and audio of these circumstances, so you. You don't need to to live in a gray area. You see it firsthand, and it's uh, it's very difficult, and it's a it's a dark point for our sport. Uh, this is a beautiful sport, and the people who are involved with it are the best on the planet. It just drives me crazy that we deal with these things, but we do, and it uh, is something that we will address here on the Soccer OG. So, in the business end, we'll talk to Aaron West. We will be in stoppage time. Talk about some U.S. soccer situations. This. Report that Jesse Marsh is signed and sealed just about to take over. U.S. under-20s as well doing their thing down in Argentina. It's all there for the Soccer OG. Rate, review, download, subscribe. Tell a friend. The show starts right now. I always like to be that guy that uh, on social media avoids... The serious conversations. I try to. I try to stick to sports. I realize we really can't. And someone in my position, or the position here of, of the journalists uh, and large that cover this sport, have to speak up here and see what can happen with regards to Vinicius, because we saw it there, and our jaws dropped. As maybe they, you know, sadly, maybe they didn't. Maybe and mind. I, I wish it dropped a little further because I'm not shocked. This is uh, something that happens quite regularly. And uh, we'll hear more from Aaron West. And I saw him send a tweet and he goes, I, we begin the year with racism, we end the year with racism. It's, it's, it's just, it, it, it taints this sport. We, I know the people that work in this sport and the people that participate in this sport are the best. And by and large, it is what brings us all together soccer because we all play it it's something we have in common so it is the most divorce diverse welcoming sport of them all no one can touch that and yet we have this we have this on a, 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 a valencia team that have black players yet they have targeted um Vinicius. and I, I asked aaron about that and he gave a really good answer so i don't want to take too much of that but i look i'm not surprised we uh, there are, are countries that have are, have no diversity. They don't know how to handle this situation. Are they inherently are people in Spain or Italy or Croatia, wherever it might be? Are they inherently racist? I go. I'd like not to think so, but they don't have a uh, a path that we have had in the states. We have a horrible history of racism. We have a horrible history that you know you try not to think about, and it wasn't that long ago. I think. We are inherently good as Americans, not all of us, but we try to get better and we want to I, We want to have an image of all of us, uh, an immigrant nation, which allowed my family to arrive here in the 60s. Um, 
a predominant black community that makes our country so different and beautiful that uh, we're far from perfect. I know that. And racism abounds and we're a big country. But there's some countries that haven't gone through this process. And I don't know what they what they do or how they or how they know how to handle it. Uh, in the path, how Real Madrid has handled it and uh, the Spanish League it seems pretty clueless, but it's like what they they have got to develop a track record. Um, you got to come down hard on this and set an example um, to uh, take away the football stadium as a place where you can do this. Try and do it on the streets. Try and do it on the streets. See what happens. But uh, we'll we'll get more into it. But it, it's it's taken the entire news stream. And look, in in a, in a weekend, we should be talking about these incredible races. Promotion relegation, getting ready for the busy summer. Uh, we're talking about this. Uh, what happened in El Salvador is, look, I saw the video. You sit there, you know what's, you, you, you know you're going to see something just horrific. And it was, and you see, you know, it's close to home because a lot of people, I've been to this Stadio Cuscatlan. And, you know, outdated, uh, unprepared for these uh, kind of, uh, moments where a stadium gets a little too full or there are too many fans in one area and there's a squeeze and they get trampled. And it it, it blows my mind too that we deal with this. I, I figure this is something that uh, from a, a bygone era. It can happen. And I saw a lot of kids in there. And I don't know, I mean, we heard 12 dead at least. I'm sure that is going to rise because just the the width and breadth of the situation, just watching it and don't watch it if you don't want to and or have to. It's it's going to sit with you, um, but the fact that that's still, that is still a possibility is, and it's it's all over, it's all over the world, it's, and it's the soccer problem, right? We can't protect the fans. We can't. So, this is, a, this is where we are here in the end of May in 2023. We turned the page a little bit. It's very heavy, I know. We turned the page... And I know you kind of come in here to hopefully laugh and have a good time. We'll do that. Some interesting uh, uh, developments. Manchester City are now the champions. I love to see their celebration because they look like they're doing it for the first time. You wonder if you get sick of it. Clearly, or you get tired of it. You don't get tired of it. And Manchester City, we'll talk to Aaron West about this, what they are going to do. I believe they're going to win all three trophies. I think they're going to do it pretty easily. Uh, I... The, the conversation of where this team, if they win those three trophies, compares to other teams, I, I, I'd have to say Man City is on a uh, is on a track to being the greatest talent assembled ever. I mean, we compare them to you know the Invincibles of Arsenal. That was the beginning of an English team opening up to foreign players. The Manchester United team in '99, and that was a very British team, right? I mean, what would have looked like if they had incorporated players from all over the world? Incredible teams, but Manchester City is a true global powerhouse. The best players from England um, to see. They, I mean, they have the true incredible English talents and a guy like Grealish and Foden. Grealish in particular, who's had a sensational season. The the unicorn striker, Erling Haaland. And then maybe one of the five best strikers is his backup, Julian Alvarez. So you have South America. You have these Nordic countries. You have Riyad Mahrez from Algeria. Kevin De Bruyne from Belgium. And they all come together. Uh, uh, Rodri, who is just a brick house. Aderson in Brazil. This is, 
I think with the way that you can spend and the way you could recruit and get the best coaches, that Manchester City of 2023 has to be in the conversation for the best club of all time. And I know historians are going to go, and what's on my side is the uh, evolution of the sport. You can't compare this to the Liverpool teams of the 70s or the Real Madrid teams of the 50s because it's it's different. Our world is so much smaller. These clubs get the best of the best in the world. So that's where I would be coming from in this situation. The Bundesliga race, incredible. Uh, Leipzig do Borussia Dortmund a huge solid as they beat Bayern Munich. That was on Saturday. Sunday, Dortmund come out. They're playing Augsburg, who had 10 men. It was scoreless, I think close to the hour mark. Maybe a little, maybe earlier than that. It was like 20 shots to one in favor of Dortmund. But you're thinking, are they going to blow this? Because if they don't get a win, Bayern's going to clinch the title next week. For sure. Leipzig was the one team that could have helped Dortmund. They did. Leipzig's a great man. Leipzig's got a lot of talent. I enjoy The Bundesliga, to me, you know, has two excellent clubs, three or four really, really good teams. Maybe Leipzig goes to that top line. Uh, an okay mid-table. Some of the bottom teams are not very good, but that's in most leagues. But I think there's a big drop, and you see it in these score lines, you know, 6-zip, 5-1. So Dortmund got a goal from Sebastian Haller, and that immediately, and then he got a second. Um, so he had the game winner. And, you know, you're jokingly say, would it be great if Gio Reyna comes in here and scores? Well, he's not. Gio Reyna it took a part in this, and it, it would be great for an American to win that Bundesliga shield. But Sebastian Haller, dealing with his cancer, coming back and scoring that goal, I think that's just about perfect. That's going to be the big goal. We'll see how they finish up here. But it's going to be, uh, it's gonna be a, a spectacle for everyone. So, I mean, we're going to help you watch the soccer weekend Obviously, we're heading to the final weekend of the Prem. Very, you know, it's the, the I, 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 I don't see leads coming through here. But really quickly, as we put a, a bow on it, Saturday, 9.30 Eastern Time, Dortmund Mines. Make sure you tune in for that one because uh, we're going to see quite the party at the Westfalen Stadium where it just, the fan culture is unlike anywhere else. Maybe right at the top of any fan culture on the planet, although I'm not getting into that discussion. The uh, Premier League... It's it's pretty straightforward. We're heading into the final the final match day here. Uh, some teams still have to play a couple games, but the the big weekend match day thirty eight coming up um, next this weekend here. We we kind of know everything. No, the top four are Liverpool has an outside shot, although Man City has that game in hand. It probably won't matter by the time it rolls around. Relegation, Southampton are done, and then Leicester and Leeds. I'm watching the Leicester game. Man, what happened to Leicester? I'm taping this. I have the Leicester game on. They were the champions of England in 2016. They're barely, they have like 10% possession. They're sitting here just giving up, just trying to get a point against Newcastle. And they might, but it's (laughs) how the mighty fall, huh? So Leicester would get a point. They'd be at 31, Leeds 31, Everton is two points ahead of them. Uh, Everton finish against Bournemouth. If they get a point there, you figure it's over. They'd have to lose. And Leeds, I think, have Tottenham at home, would have to get the victory. So it looks like they're going down. It was a fun run while it lasted. And it's not going to... I hope I'm wrong. I hope something bizarre happens. But we'll all be tuning in on that final match day this coming weekend. And then we take a break and we get ready for a lot of other things. Uh, the, uh, you know, Man City... 
Inter Champions League final. That was determined this week. The Europa League final. I mean, we'll talk to Aaron about this also. These Italian teams emerging with... Uh, you have... I, 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 I did the interview, and I think I said there was an all-Italian Europa League final. That is incorrect. You have Roma versus Sevilla. Juventus lost. Juventus, by the way, docked those 10 points. So they're out of the Champions League spot. So what was going great for Italy on every account, a little bit of a wet blanket for Juventus. But I think the demise of Juventus is what's allowed other clubs to emerge and have great seasons like Napoli and Inter and Milan and Fiorentina. So uh, maybe it's maybe that is required in the big picture of things. The soccer OG, we are off and running. We're gonna, I'm gonna put. I have a lot of more stuff to talk about, but I want to get to the interview of Aaron West. Stick around for stoppage time as I'll be discussing the latest happenings in U.S. soccer. Check out the soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos, so you can see and hear me if that's something you want. Maybe not for everybody. I understand. Had a great time in Denver. Had a great week in the Mountain Time Zone, doing three games for MLS Season Pass. Uh, I woke up this morning and everyone's trying to find out the ratings for MLS season pass. Like, why is everyone so hell bent on on trying to find out what's uh, who's watching MLS? Why why do we have that? Who's watching it? Is anyone watching it? No one cares. Why do we have you know the pickaxe and the the lanterns coming at MLS all the time from Americans? It's really annoying. Anyhow, I know people are watching. Let's go. The business end is next. Welcome back. We're in the business end where we uh, speak to some of the preeminent voices of the sport here and abroad. No different here today. Aaron West, the famous Oeste, who uh, you will know originally from Copa 90, now working on La Liga Zone and CBS Sports Golazo. You see him at the desk. I've uh, I've been a fan for a long time, Aaron, and um, more so than any, and you can touch on this more than I can, is I love to see people that kind of started and... It's certainly in soccer, which is a small community. We are small, and we're all kind of working for the same, um, we're the the same product. We're we're all working towards making this sport uh, as uh, successful as um, to, to get people excited about it. By and large, so I mean, you put the time in. Um, can you look? I mean, looking back at that path, I mean, I mean, obviously there's some frustration, but from where it started to here, do you ever take a minute to say, "Wow, this is we've I've made some headway here." Honestly, all the time, I, I, um, I'm not a nostalgic person, but I like, I take a lot of time to kind of appreciate where I am to, to, to be able to push forward. Um, and it, it, it was kind of, it, this is pretty full circle for me. It's pretty wild. Um, when you, you hit me up and you messaged me, I was like, this is crazy. I, I grew up like when we first got cable, I, I grew up hearing your voice watching Fox soccer channel, Argentine league. So like, this is, this is pretty cool for me to, to be sitting here being interviewed by you. So yeah, man, it's been it's been a long journey. I, I think about it from time to time, and I've been doing this for a while now. <laughs> what? Crazy. How long? It's like what, fifteen years? Um, or something. Yeah, I was gonna say my I first started like writing in two thousand nine, um, or yeah, two thousand and eight. I started kind of blogging and then like writing for Goal dot com out of college in two thousand and eight, um, and then just been a long and winding path since then. So it's it's. It is. It's kind of wild to be here now, still working in the sport, well, or, and legitimately working in the sport. Actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, it was look uh, the connection to what I did is interesting because when I did that, I never thought um, it would 
get to where it is today? Because it's a it was very quick, you know, 10, 15 years between uh, me working there and then seeing the the sport just blow up on several networks. The one thing that gets me all the time is the broadcast right fees, which were free when I was doing it. And now, right. you know, the Premier League's a $2 billion dollar product. <laughs> La Liga is like $800 million. And like uh, MLS is $2.5 billion over 10. It's it's unbelievable because yeah. it was such a niche sport. I, I When I was doing that, I always thought I would tell the people in our production team, no one's watching this. No one's watching this. But in reality, people were. So yeah. I'm glad you had that. I'm glad you got that cable package because it was hard to, from what I understand, it was hard to get. (laughs) I begged my parents for it because we didn't have cable at all growing up. It was all like PBS and whatever was on network television at the time. So I watched like a lot of wishbone, things like that. (laughs) Uh, The way that I consumed soccer was through old highlight tapes and through reading magazines like 442 and things like that. So when we finally got cable, I was full advantage i watched every single game i could uh i think we got tivo at one point i was recording games watching them back and it was yeah for you you, you might have thought nobody was watching but we were hanging on every single word <laughs> wow i mean we're gonna you're gonna we're gonna both feel really old after this you dropped wishbone tivo I mean, <laughs> all of that man but it's, that. it's not this is it, the, the 2000s 90s the 90s episode <laughs> but it happens it happens so quickly um, you know, things just get dated very uh, immediately and within a couple of years in this technological age. Because, you know, I asked you off the air how much soccer you watch because we all do it. We watch I, I know I speak on your behalf. We, we watch soccer that we don't really need to at points mm-hmm. just because we feel it's it's never a waste of time. Right. Because anything right. you watch, whether if like I was flipping through channels, my wife was there. Or she was going to start watching this American Idol finale. And then I flipped the channel to Italy, Brazil, under 20s. I watched 15 minutes and she rolls her eyes. and like, oh, my God, <laughs> I've made this soccer prison in here. Yeah. <laughs> Got to step away. But it's just never any. And I'll say, like, obviously, where you can the streaming is huge. But YouTube, for me, I'd love to get your ideas about how you consume it, you know, on Sunday, Monday. And I'll do it today as well. Just flicking on there and get highlights of every league of which it's really sophisticated eight, 10 minutes, you know, with all the, all the bells and whistles. So you can catch up pretty quickly yeah. uh, unless you can watch all the games. Which I don't think anyone can. Some people try to say they do, but. Right. Yeah. I I used to be in the like streaming, like five, six games at a time. And then, especially when I was at, at working for Fox soccer as a writer, just to kind of like try and try and like by osmosis, get everything in, sure. but you, I... you can't, you can't really focus that way. So I, nowadays like i'm 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 probably not watching more than three i don't usually have more than three games on at once like one that i'm actually kind of trying to focus on and then a couple in the background with the sound high enough that i can like hear if a goal happens or glance over every once in a while but man yeah those days were wild (laughs) (laughs) and and it just never ends like i'm i watch i'm watching games every single day uh my wife is is amazing because she she played she is in the sport now so she fully understands um and she she does a lot and we have a lot of help on weekends so that I actually do get to watch games a lot of times I'm like holding a kid and like watching a game downstairs like my kids know that there's soccer on the TV all the time they both like just kind of love it by we we try not to force it on them but they both love it just because it's around just on. <laughs> 
I appreciate you sharing that, Aaron, because I think people realize have realize how difficult this can be, especially with a young family. Um, waking up Saturday and Sunday in particular, because that's the the meat yeah. of you know the uh, and you're on the East Coast, I'm on the West Coast, but that's the meat of the programming and sitting down and buckling in and having the TV on, having your laptop phone yeah. on the laptop so you can see this. It's impossible to get it all in there, but I mean, you, we obviously end up focusing on something, but that's it, it's it's difficult. And I mean, I. I Monday morning when I get on Twitter and I follow all the accounts I follow and it just it hits you about how much and within you know the time that I go to bed at Sunday I went to bed last night around midnight I woke up around eight slept in a little bit got my eight hours yeah. what happened in between those eight hours I felt like I I missed a ton because it's it just so happened so fast it's, it's overwhelming so overwhelming yeah it that's a, a thing I was thinking about kind of the other day is just like man like what is I, I look at a lot of I, a lot of times I kind of evaluate, like, what do I, what is my ideal? Like, how hard do I want to work to get to? And where do I want to be? And like, what is the work-life balance? I'm always kind of thinking about that. Like, I look at a, a person like Stephen A. Smith, who is one of the pinnacles of, of sports broadcasting. I'm like, I don't want that life. No. <laughs> I actually don't. Like, he he's on literally all the time. He's Every time you turn on ESPN, his face is there. And it's cool to be the face of a network, but I also like to hang out. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty introverted as well. Like, I, I being around people and being on camera takes a lot of energy out of me. So it, it's, it's not like it's... I'm, I'm like I, a lot of extroverted people that the kind of the definition is they get energy being around people. That is the exact opposite for me. So it's just a drain on my battery every day. And I, I think I'm come I've uh, adjusted well to kind of the new TV balance, but I don't, I don't want to be on every single day. <laughs> and <laughs> I like for to you. Hang out with my kids. <laughs> what, Hey, if you could convince people that you don't have to do that, I'm on board, by the way, uh, <laughs> interesting Stephen A. Smith story. I was like on sports center. It was like an NBA game. And something big happened, or it was like a big trade. I'm sorry, it was a huge trade. He was on vacation, so it was the off season. He was on vacation, and they go, "We're getting Stephen A. He's in the Bahamas." And I go, "No, yeah. I go, are we interrupting his vacation?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah, it's all right." And I'm like, "Oh man!" I go, "I have to interview him." I'm like, "I don't want to do this." And sure right. enough, it was like 10 p.m. where he was. He looked tired, and then he just like Stephen A. does, just rattle off all this incredible information. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, "How the heck?" And I go, "Stephen A. Thanks. We didn't say he was on vacation, but he clearly was. You could hear birds." Right. But it was just constantly on call. But it's like it's not for everyone, man. He's a he is a machine, but I'm with you. It's that's <laughs> yeah. a huge commitment. <laughs> but I was yeah. that Yeah, that, I'm not that guy. I, I learned pretty early on. I don't I don't I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. Like a little bit more life balance on the work life balance part. <laughs> but you say that, but you say that, but I I, I see someone who's it, it feels to me is constantly, I know you can't fake it, is constantly embedded in this and you know, very visible over the weekend and I'm sure you've gone through a lot of ups and downs, uh, working at places, finding, carving a, a niche for yourself in a new place also. But uh, like like probably more than most, much more difficult to get where you go. Uh, a lot of people always ask me, you know, what's the best way to get in this industry, to be effective, to, to get a good start? I know I was self-starting is really exciting here, what you can do on like this, a podcast or YouTube, or find something that you or could be an expert in that is there's a need for. Uh, what has worked for you? What are the things you think that if some, what, or I'll put it this way, if someone asked you, what advice could you give them mm -hmm. to do this specifically for soccer? What what would it be? 
Um, well, my first advice is the first advice I give everyone who's thinking about getting into this, just don't. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to say that myself. Because I look at their faces, I go, and they're like, what? I go, I'm telling you, man, it's hard. And it's a lot different from when I was than when you and then the next generation. I I tell everyone, don't do it. Think about it really hard if you want to do this, because it's incredibly long hours with not a lot of payoff, not a lot of actual payoff. You probably (laughs) won't get paid very much and not a lot of reward. And it may make you hate sports. So before I like tell them, I tell them all this. <laughs> and then when I like they get past the initial look of confusion and, and sadness, I and they decided they want to continue on. I'm like, all right, now that we're here, <laughs> I, I think you, you the biggest thing is you have to find your voice. And a, a lot of people say that. But I to me, it means like, what is the thing that makes you unique? Like, how do you what are the stories you want to tell? What is your unique perspective? What do you bring to? sports that somebody else doesn't we're all individuals we all grew up with very unique perspectives and how do you bring that perspective to sports um for me i i kind of got into this into the writing thing um a little bit on the or the advice of uh, orson scott card the writer he wrote ender's game i read something he wrote that said people get into writing for one of two reasons. They either read, read some writing that is so inspirational, they want to try and go out and do something inspirational, or they read some writing that is so bad, they're like, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a little bit of both for me. I read some writers that I really, really loved and were fantastic. And then I saw some stuff being published. that I was like, this is terrible. If they can get paid to do this, why can I not get paid to write? Um, and why are my ideas not just as viable as the rest of them? So Twitter was kind of my marketplace of ideas just kind of speaking not really caring about the audience just saying what i thought um and then an audience just kind of came because i i consider myself a pretty honest person i watch a lot of sports i mean a lot lot of soccer especially and i i consider i didn't know how much i didn't know where my knowledge base stood in the world of soccer and i have never considered myself uh, i know it all i just kind of I operate on what I see and then I learn from there. Um, and I would say things and people would agree with them. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And I'd have really cool conversations and learn and then continue to have those conversations and learn and grow from there. And it got to the point where after a lot of just kind of freelance writing, a lot of frustration, trying to find work in different arenas over the years, I got a random message out of nowhere in 2016 to to be a writer for Fox Soccer, wow. um, and that was that was what kicked it all off. Legitimately, I'd been doing a lot of like random freelance writing, written for a bunch of different outlets, done like things here and there, but nothing concrete. And then I got the offer to to move out to LA and be a full time writer, and that just kind of changed my whole life. Bless the writers, man. I mean, because people say <laughs> not people are enough for reading. I read so much, and I love it. And I can imagine it's it's difficult in this current technological space where we're it's changing everyone thinks quick but sometimes you got to sit there and buckle up and just read and it's such it's yeah, so good yeah. for your brain and, and and your memory and all of that so it's uh it's i mean there, there's a lot there that you're able to share uh with regards to what you need to do by the way you mentioned twitter so would could you say that twitter was a big part um because i remember when the when elon musk you know takeover and you know people were thinking about losing their twitter accounts a lot of people were saying, wait a minute, Twitter, it, it's not a minor thing here. This really helped yeah. me connect, network, get work. Could that, would that describe you too? A hundred percent. Twitter is where I built 
like 99.9% of my following. Um, it's where my stuff got shared. It's where I was able to engage with everyone kind of in the space. That is definitely where I made my name. Like anyone who knew who I was and like I would randomly people would pop up like, oh my God, Aaron, you're from, you're the guy from Twitter. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm the Twitter guy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but it's... it was a hundred percent Twitter. Yeah. And I, I just, it, it was everything. When I discovered Twitter, it was like everything perfect for me. I'm, I'm a speed reader and my entire life reading has been the number one thing. I didn't get to watch a ton of soccer. I didn't get to watch any live soccer growing up and I, I didn't only had, but so many highlight tapes. There's only so many times you can watch like the Ajax Champions League run. And <laughs> I've seen this movie before. <laughs> yeah. So like all the, I had all the highlight tapes and all those, but I didn't get to watch any live soccer. So for me, reading about it is what connect, kept me connected. And so reading and writing were always very, very close to me. Um, I was just as a kid and always just, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books of all kinds so I was just always a reader um so Twitter was perfect for me it, it was just all this information at my fingertips and especially like being a speed reader I just was consuming so much info I felt like I was like in the matrix just plugged into everything <laughs> uh, and, it's amazing my, but it's amazing what the human body and brain can absorb yeah, I mean I think yeah, what yeah. you do that I mean not everything's gonna stick but a lot does yeah, I, I discovered, I think it was TweetDeck and like everything changed. I had like seven tabs or like tab, seven columns. Like I created the, the I, I spent hours trying to basically curate the perfect timeline so that anything that happened, whether it was politics, sports, culture, or everything, it was right there. If it happened, I knew about it immediately. So I was super, super plugged in. Um, and my brain just kind of works very manically. So I just at all, I, I don't sleep i didn't sleep much i sleep a lot more now but i was just a terrible sleeper uh so probably sleeping four hours a night and just up at all times just randomly like tweeting about mostly soccer just anything that popped into my brain any games i was watching from all leagues all across the world i'd be staying like staying up with until the uk people woke up so like my late night tweets would be their morning tweets smart, and, then I'd, like, smart. Take a nap and then and, and then come back to like uk tweets so it was just a, it was like a, a kind of a cool thing where my insomnia helped me kind of embed with more european soccer and got more respect on the european side of things just from engaging with them at early hours of the morning. that's crazy oh it was wild how that happened Let's say you you're I really enjoy your 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 tweeting. Um, you can see it on Oeste O E S T E, which is West. Perfect, perfect play on words. Uh, it, it popped up. It opened up like and it was available. Ago, and I was like, oh, there we go. <laughs> it was available immediately. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's interesting because even the time zones, like I I figure like soccer, we're like bankers, like you know, or, or in the stock market, you have to see what's happening in Tokyo and the London, right. and you have to stay up and you you got to be ready. I'm on the West Coast, so I'm kind of a set adrift oh, a bit. So covering I, Premier League when I lived in LA was it was I, it was a dream to be able to do it, but man, that was not fun. <laughs> It'll wipe you out. I mean, if it you're will. up at four, I mean, even this you know this World Cup, I was like, it was getting the the best of me. I was like, I'm watching it. By the end, I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip some of the two a.m. Pacific games. <laughs> yeah, I'll watch man. the highlights. I just can't do yeah. it. So uh, just w what we all deal with on a regular basis. You mentioned uh, books. Is there a soccer book that hyped you up um, more? Franklin Four. How soccer explains the world is probably my favorite one um it's just a it's a really really interesting look in into how 
soccer, like actual cultures shape their soccer culture and vice versa. And it's, it's, I, I, one of the big, many reasons I love soccer is just how you can connect with anyone in the world through the sport. Um, if, if you know anything about soccer, you can probably talk to someone from just about anywhere. Um, so it, how that, that book is, is, is really, really, really a good one. I think for anyone who's wants to read a soccer book, <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm on planes a lot more and that's when I read and I've been yeah, pretty yeah. prolific. I'm actually very happy. I'm like reading. So, um, I'll go from soccer books to um, some time, some established literature or yeah. autobiographies of music. I just oh, want to yeah. read. I hope I get smart. Yeah. At my age, it's kind of hard, but uh, yeah. I appreciate Keep that. that neuroplasticity. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, obviously on social media and as a writer, and then it's, it's kind of led you to covering it on TV. And I, I will just say this about you and I've watched you on TV and I can't say this about everyone. But you can see that you have worked on your chops on your on-air presentation, which is, it's a real process. you got to get comfortable in your own skin, which I've seen you do that, um, how to be very effective in communicating the sport and what you're seeing, deciphering what you see and telling the audience what's important. Oh, that's really difficult. I mean, it took me years. So. Mm -hmm. You're on on a great path with that, and you're you're covering the uh, let's well let's talk about CBS a bit because you know Copa ninety and all that was I I, I consumed a lot of that stuff and you guys did, I know it was a it was probably a shoestring budget but some of the stuff you guys did made it look like it was pretty broad and uh, well budgeted uh, I know it probably wasn't but yeah. you're traveling particularly when you're covering rivalries which was really a great way to get people excited about it. And um, this, I'll ask you about that, but just do, being able to do that, going, maybe traveling or having folks explain the ex, what's so exciting about football in Argentina or in 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 Turkey or wherever it might be, because I know there's a lot of differences. We're going to talk about that. And it's a lot of nasty differences, but the sport yeah. still is that through line that we can all relate to. Yeah, I it was uh, it was interesting going from to Copa 90 from from Fox because. Everything I did at Fox was very on pitch and everything surrounding on pitch focused. And at Copa 90, it's, it's very, it was very different. It's the kind of the, the cell was like, you're standing on the pitch and looking out everything that happens from there. Cause we didn't have rights for anything. We couldn't really show highlights. So it was all about fan culture. And frankly, before then, I didn't really care about fan culture for me growing up. It was all about the actual game. I didn't really fully understand the significance of, of supporter culture, especially not really watching live games. You don't really get that feeling of how much the supporters influence what's going on. So covering that perspective at Copa 90, really it both, I'd kind of gotten a little bit burnt out at Fox soccer. Cause I wrote like 900 something articles in my year and a half there. Like I was cranking out writing. Like I was watching every single game I had no breaks basically. And I did, I, I loved who I worked with it at Fox, but I did not like Fox. Um, so Copa 90 was a, like a breath of fresh air for me, kind of getting to work in a, a way less restrictive in terms of the overall umbrella. And then focusing on fan culture was just a completely new thing for me. Um, and it kind of gave me a more, it, it, it renewed my excitement in the game. It gave me a more kind of holistic view of, of the sport even more. Um, and it, it just kind of helped me become even more passionate about it and understand it even more and how people view the game would probably be a, a better, a, the best way to say. It. And it, I think that, that kind of under 
understanding helped me better be able to communicate to people because I was like, oh, this is how you you see it. <laughs> it's brilliant. I mean, you got to take so much into consideration. And look, yeah, I, uh, Fox has a huge platform, and I think they they could be doing better at reaching out to certain uh, audiences and being um, uh, telling more stories that we we don't really see maybe on some big coverage we don't have enough time i understand it but there's so many intriguing stories that you can draw in new audiences and everyone has that responsibility and you know cbs uh, just started a 24-hour channel you have a show on there and i i it's so exciting to see that i know that um everything cbs does is a little bit you know it, it, they, they need to get results and it appears they're doing that um I, I was I was watching the CBS the Champions League semis and I I just couldn't believe what I was seeing with the desk there, and the players kind of rolling over and having a conversation. Yeah. I go, you, you're not getting this coverage anywhere in the world. I mean, Patrice ever dropping you know, s bombs, <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, the, the coaches and players just walk up, hey, because and part of it is they know they know that crew, but you know that's part yeah. of it. You got to develop that, and it's it's. I, I I get emotional when I think about it because I didn't think uh, I just salute the folks over there for starting something like this and giving it that time. I know there's a big dollar sign attached to it, and there's probably some execs going, "We need, we need to hit it." But uh, the it, it would appear that they are all in on that, and it's it, it's presenting it. It's it's very well received, and they're presenting it in a different, uh, fun way. I mean, what's it been like to be involved uh, with everything they've doing, which is so vast right now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing, honestly. When I signed on, it was right after uh, Turner Bleacher Report had kind of seeded the Champions League rights. I went from from Copenhagen to the Bleacher Report Turner, um, covering Champions League exclusively, traveling. I got to do a, a lot of really really cool stories with them. Um, but when COVID hit and the CBS bought the Champions League rights, Turner just kind of was like not going to sink any more money into this. So CBS actually ended up buying them a little bit early and I went with them um, because it made the most sense. But that had to be a little, that had to be a little scary for you. I mean, yeah, yeah, it was. Switch jobs. You don't know what's what's around the corner. A hundred percent. But the, the conversations I had with them before joining were really, really promising because they were so honest. They were like, we haven't done soccer in 30 years. Um, uh, On the social side of things, I kind of signed on as kind of hybrid social and TV. Um, they were like, we, we're going to hire people who know what they're talking about in soccer. Cause only like one or two of us really do soccer over here. So they were That's very nice. They about, deferred that. Yeah. Yeah. They like it. That was one of the biggest things that sold me. It was like, we want to learn. We, we know what we're doing. We've won a lot of Emmys on the, on the other sports side of things, but we're going to do our best to bring in the people who know this sport. And we're passionate about making this work. So when I signed on, it was kind of very, very, very early on, um, just Champions League. And that from there, it just grew. They they saw the success that Champions League brought. They bought Serie A. I started working on that side. Uh, I mean, I have to give so much credit to, to Pete Radovich, the, the creative director. He he is the one that's 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 enabled everyone to kind of just be themselves. Like the studio show is what it is because he wants it to be like serious fun. He wants people to, to make their opinions known, to, to share their knowledge of the game in a, in a very straightforward and, and sophisticated fashion. But there's room to stretch out there. there you get to, to kind of show your personality. Um, and that's, that's a really, really cool thing. It, it's, I see all the time people in the UK, they're like, Oh my God, I wish we could have this yeah. for our, for our shows. Uh, but I don't think the UK people would really appreciate it if they did have it. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> 
I don't. It's it's I yeah. Because the way we, <laughs> it's a very American way we do things, yeah. and sometimes it's kind of looked down upon. Yeah. But what um, did you? You but, said is it informative fun? Was that was the expression you used? It's um, like serious fun. Yeah. Serious fun. Yeah. 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 So it's it's we want it to be to be elevated and and for people to to feel like we're treating it with the the the, the seriousness and and relevance that. It demands Champions League and Serie A, but also like this is sports. <laughs> We're here to have fun, so let's have some fun with it. Uh, so it's been a, it's been really really cool to be part of that and to that, see it grow. Yeah, you hit that on the nail because it is fun. I, I always get like kind of taken back when it, it's presented in such a serious way. I'm like, eh, it's not. <laughs> We're still kicking a ball around. <laughs> We're still kicking a ball around. We're arguing with our friends. We're consuming uh, large pints of beer, whatever it is. It's fun. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we got to have to kind of look through the uh, – and that's what I do. You look through the eyes of the consumer, the audience, and I think you guys have channeled that really well. And uh, City, uh, I mean, I, I haven't really asked you soccer questions. I, I'm really intrigued by by this, and I think it's a great pathway for others to – to get better because it's we're all in this together aaron and it's 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 good to see people who know what they're doing and put the work in uh on 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 the front lines uh but you got to cover city on a really unique time i mean this was a i mean this league i covered it back in the day and, and it had this this incredible moment where it was either milan or juventus or inter um reaching the champions league final winning it it was the best league in many ways and then it you know some scandals and um uh, a lot of uh, issues along the way and it, it hit hard and it's, I mean, you could tell me better than this. Cause what, what's intrigued me is they haven't thrown money at these teams. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, Napoli, it's just savvy signings that players that were available, you know, really good coaching. We know Italy is the cradle of coaches, uh, smart avant-garde ways, which is what inter does. I saw this Gab Marcotti article. And he goes, what do you, you know what Inzaghi did was, okay, he plays with two forwards, and he goes, I have 18 guys I'm going to throw at you, and we're going to beat you that way. It's not right. like the star. But it's not like, hey, we, we're going to drop. It's not like the these big clubs dropping $100 million like we see in the Premier League, and it's working. And it 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 feels like it could change it a bit because no one wants to spend copious amounts of money, right? But if you right. could – look, there's a there's an Italian team in the Champions League final. The Europa League is two Italian teams. The conference is – Fiorentina's in the final. It's not an isolated incident. They're doing something right way. How have you seen it? Right. I think uh, the best kind of analogy I can make is like when I'm playing video games and you just give me like all kinds of cash, I'm indiscriminate. I don't really think too much about it. I'm like, oh, whatever. I'll just buy this thing. I'll buy this thing. I'll buy this thing. And if it works out, it works out. When you don't have much, you're, I'm like, all right, I, I've got to parse this out, this out. I've got to make sure everything is well thought out. And that's kind of what, what, Serie A has been in the last few years they are working with shoestring budgets they're working but what they do not have is incredible knowledge incredible footballing knowledge like you said it is the home of of managers but a lot of these teams have employed fantastic scouting and they're they're picking from areas that a, a lot of the, the like bigger Premier League clubs don't really look at. You know there's a lot of Eastern European players in Syria because they're right there um and that's a thing that that soccer really taught me is geography i didn't really care about geography much or really care about uh european geography but like you start to watch soccer and you realize this team hates each other this team because they're literally right there <laughs> but uh Serie A teams pick a lot they they, they t- take a lot of eastern european players um they get a lot of of south american players 
Um, and then they ended up selling them for a lot of money. Um, the scouting systems that a lot of these clubs have employed, the the tactical, the depth of tactical knowledge yeah. that is in yeah. these teams, the depth of depth of tactical preparation is is really crazy. The, the one of the most fun things for me to to hear is like when players come from the Premier League to Serie A and they talk about how different the training is. Uh, they talk about how how intense the tactical preparation is and it, it really really is i i grew up kind of watching a lot of Serie A and, and reading so much about the game it gave me a, more of an appreciation for tactics especially having not i didn't have the base of someone teaching me soccer growing up i didn't get to watch it with my dad or anything growing up my dad was a track guy so anything he he taught me as much as he could and he just let me go he was like anything you need i'll support you and but my parents didn't know anything about soccer so everything i had to kind of teach myself so reading about the game really gave me a, a deeper appreciation for tactics um and especially just reading about how these countries kind of personalities influence their tactics hundred percent. Um, it's it's fascinating. It, it's 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 a deeply fascinating to me. It's one of those things that I, I think about a lot. I read about a lot. Um, I, I read the book Bright Orange about the yeah. the, the Dutch, Dutch yeah. footballing culture, and and Italy is it's it's their their culture as a country is so tied to their footballing identity. So it's really interesting seeing how all these different teams play and and how deeply the tactics really really have driven the country. <laughs> It's so true, especially on the national level where, you know, the identity of these countries are based on who they are. And I read that yeah. book and the one thing that it blew me away and I went to Amsterdam recently and I saw it. It's, it's a small country. It's everything's very thin. And you look tiny. at the houses, they're tiny. They go up. They make use of space. Yeah. And that is how they play football. Yeah. <laughs> tiny is, areas. How do we? I, I was like. Use of space. How do we do this in this? How do we make it like they, the Netherlands is a country that shouldn't exist. It's. Yeah. below water but it's a country full of brilliant people oh, engineering engineers yeah and but it's also a country full of very arrogant people who all want to do things their own way which is a lot of times why i kind of think it falls apart at the national level you got yeah, all these guys exactly. who are like i'm brilliant <laughs> i'm gonna do it this way and they don't really come together as a team when it really matters in a lot of ways it's it's true like you see that with the dutch they'll probably never win a one uh, the Mexico never gets to the quinto partido. Uh, you know, Brazil is kind of developing an identity where they they flame out. You know, they've they've obviously got five World Cups, uh, and then they have the beautiful game, and which is how they live this joie de vivre, and it's it's wonderful, and it, and I'd love to see it um, succeed on the national team level. But maybe times have changed, and there's no room for that. Maybe they have to get. They have to buckle yeah. up a little bit. I, I think don't know. They gotta kind of go back to the the idea of the piano carriers and the piano players. Yeah. And Brazil is a, is another interesting country because it is like it is the country of like dancing and partying and all that, but it's also the country of favelas and, yes. and Brazilian jiu jitsu and where people know how to fight. Don't pick <laughs> so a fight I, in Rio. Don't just. <laughs> do it. What did you say so to me, I, bud? Oh no, <laughs> just keep walking. I think we need more of the the, the, the Casemiro and Dungas to then yes. balance out the Neymars and Honashini. <laughs> I'm so glad you said Dunga because that was the guy who kind of said, hey guys, tighten it up. We're gonna, this is how yeah. we're playing. <laughs> uh, Aaron, this is amazing. And I, I know I, I wanted to cover so many uh, stories. I want to get into it, but uh, we'll be here all day otherwise. But I did want to, I mean, you're covering La Liga and look, it, this, the Serie A for all the time, we, we enjoy it. We have seen episodes of racism 
come through. I saw something you did. I, forgive me, but you were traveling. Was it in Turkey? Was it was it the Balkans or where you, where you kind of saw this, the culture and how how uncomfortable you felt kind of being there? Or was it Italy? Yeah, so I just finished wrapping up, a, it's being edited as we speak, a, a documentary kind of over the last few months and last year, traveling up and down Italy, just interviewing coaches, players, referees, supporters, just about why this keep, why we keep seeing incidents of racism happen in Italian football and just what is the cultural lens to why this keeps happening. And it, it was, it's really, really interesting. I don't want to reveal too much about it, but culturally it's, it's an interesting thing. They, they very much, it's, Italy is a, is a country that has been of immigrants where they left, they culturally have left and gone to the U S or wherever. Um, they, especially in Southern Italy, where, where there's a lot of poverty, they, there's been a lot of immigration out of the country, but in the last, 30 years or so it's become a country where of of immigrants of immigration where they're they're getting a number of immigrants be it from Africa be it from Asia wherever they're getting a, a number of people coming into the country that they're just simply not used to it, we're used to, to people coming to the US that is what yes. the US is built on but Italians are not and so it's been a really really interesting kind of shift in cultural perspectives and demographics and how these people are used to living their lives and getting used to multi multiculturalism and and from that we've seen a lot of of clashes a lot of of growth but a, a big thing is is a lot of inside these stadiums a lot of people who feel that a lot of people feel that what they do in the stadium is different from what they do outside of the stadium so they feel it's okay to to make do a racist chant in the stadium because it's in support it. of their team. Yeah. They would never do it outside the stadium, but because they're there, it's culturally still acceptable inside mm -hmm. the stadium to do this. And and there's a ton of of work that needs to come with changing that idea as both from I mean, th this is a country that's struggling with its identity overall. So it's 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 deeply uh emblematic of a, of a cultural issue and until that cultural issue changes then it's not going to change yeah it's the same thing we're seeing in spain so it, it, it's it's just the the problems in football just mirror those of society so until that gets fixed until the, we have some more education and acceptance in that realm it'll never stop in the stadiums Aaron, that is the best thing i've heard about this and obviously i'm bringing up vinicius and uh, these monkey chants at a Valencia game uh, and people are outraged and they want to throw the book at that. And maybe that works, you know, maybe you identify these people and you, you throw them out of football as far as they are in, in Spain or Italy, but it, it's, there's a systemic thing going on. There's so much more to it there. Cause you know, people are, I'm looking on Twitter and everyone's acting surprised. I go, why are you acting surprised? This is, this is how it's been going for generations. Um, and I, I think to, there is a to what you said about the out being outside the stadium. There's a silver lining where I think they don't want the masses don't want to behave this way and they want to be accepting, but they don't have a map like us where as for all the flaws we have in this country, um, there's an attempt to uh, diversify and, you know, reach out to folks and, and kind of the whole melting pot philosophy. We're, we're far from perfect. I mean, I, we fail many, many times, but it's just 
it's not what's happening there where I think people say, well, this is kind of normal. What we're, I don't hate him. I just, is what we do. Right. And I don't know how to eradicate that, but it is. I think there's a, there's a better example, even closer to them. England has done a, a pretty good job yeah. of, of stamping, not completely eradicating it, but at least taking strong measures, punitive measures is really what it takes because punitive measures make people sit up and think, okay, why am I being punished? Why is my stadium empty when this team gets to have their fans. Oh, my stadium's empty because this small subsection of fans made this chance, which we now know is unacceptable. That's the thing that makes it, people sit back and think, oh, I thought that was cool. We're not doing that anymore. Why are we not doing that anymore? And then that conversation leads to a little bit more of understanding. And then we, as we do that, it moves forward. But unfortunately, these things don't happen unless you actually enact real punishment. So if someone gets slapped with a ban or a stadium is empty, because of the actions of a few, it really makes people sit up and, and take notice as to why it's happening in a larger fashion. So, I mean, if if they put their hammer down, you know, Javier Tebas has been kind of indifferent with the punishment. It's just... <laughs> he might not be the guy moving forward. <laughs> I, don't know I mean, that was the stunner. Hammer. I go, this is like <laughs> this old guard kind of philosophy. But do you believe it's like if they kind of said, all right, we're, we have video footage of these these folks you will never set foot in here. Um, if you do this, you will you'll not see another Valencia game as as long as we have you on these records. Um, that putting that hammer down will 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 I don't know if it'll work, but we'll see some headway. We'll see improvements. I think yes. I think just these slaps on the wrists are the biggest detriment to the sport possible because it it's it communicates that those in charge don't take it seriously. If you get like a fifteen thousand dollar fan for racism and you get a fifty thousand dollar fan for for some an act of violence what does that say yeah it whatever the 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 different discrepancy may be i think really really coming down on fans in general and making them feel it uh making everyone involved feel it like those directly involved and those who weren't necessarily directly involved but could be or could in the next time, if they see something like that, help eradicate it. Because what it makes you say is, even if you don't necessarily think it's wrong, I don't want to be kicked out of my stadium. So you shut up, please. <laughs> like if you see a guy in front of you and you don't want to be kicked out of your stadium, you don't want to see Valencia banned from competition. Yeah. You're like, all right, bro. I'm going to slug you. Cool. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> it helps stop the problem. And then even from there, I think it makes people think, why? Why is this so serious that we may be getting we may get banned from our stadium? Why is that an issue? Who is this that serious to that that we we have to go this far? And then it makes people really really understand. And if they don't, at least it stopped it. <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, I, I, in some way, I know it's crazy. I'd love to hear from these fans. Like, why? I, I go. You have black players on your team that you celebrate. Why do you focus I, I on this? To a fan about that, and he for in his view, it it it's outward. It's it doesn't matter because it's um it's outward. It it's it's a crazy line of thinking. Oh, it's, it's a wild, wild line of thinking. That is insane. <laughs> so when this this when is this video coming out? Like uh everyone should be um I'm not I haven't talked to my producers yet, but because we're getting to the end of the season, they really wanted to make sure this this uh gets out was edited work. properly. I would assume maybe towards the beginning of next season probably would make most sense <laughs> okay we have is it is, how can people find it would it 
it'll was... it'll be on Paramount Plus. It'll be on our YouTube channels and everything. Okay. Yeah. Right. It's it's fascinating. It's frustrating. It's so many things. Uh, but I mean, these are the moments where you have to act, and obviously, you need the right people in charge to kind of make some act. Because I there was this Dante Van Zier, you know, this Red Bulls player who's suspended six games. He had a a, a, a derogatory, a, a a racist expression towards Jeremy Abobasi. And, you know, everyone's like, throw him out of the league. I go, okay. But then I was like, I looked at him and I go, he, he's from Belgium. I mean, he's, he, he admitted to saying it. He thought it wasn't wrong. And I, 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 for a moment, I felt for him because it was, it didn't seem like your textbook racist guy. He was like, no, this is, yeah. but that, that's not good enough. Right. But I, I, I think moments like that, there's a, an opportunity to open a conversation with this guy who's got to be, I mean, he's, He's, I think he returned from his suspension, but he's dealing with this, and I, I can't be comfortable. But what it's yeah, a big for, lesson for his learned. specific one. That was honestly, if you're if you're going to be caught for something like that, that was the best possible way to approach it. Say, yeah. I was ignorant. I am sorry. I want to be educated. That's great. Because yeah. <laughs> otherwise, he probably wouldn't that. admit it. No. I mean, he'd say, no, I never said it. And if you don't have proof, yeah. you don't have proof because we've seen that in the past, and then it gets swept 100%. under the rug. Yeah, like that that's someone who clearly wants to learn, was in the wrong, but wants to be a better person, and that we can work with. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is obviously a topic you need a lot more time, but this is a, a, a excellent, Aaron. I know it's a very serious one. It can be uncomfortable. So before we leave, uh, maybe a Champions League, what are, we, what are we looking for in this final? I've I've been blown away by me. I've been telling people that they're blowing the doors off of – I said they're going to catch Arsenal just because of what I've seen. I've never seen a yeah. club like this. I don't know where we put them, but it's way up there in my estimation. Yeah. I think they'll comfortably win the Champions League, comfortably win the FA Cup, and we'll have, you know, a club that like there was a discussion, and I, I'm getting way ahead of everything. And I have, I'm not a City fan by any means, but I'll, I'll tell you this: watching that game against Real Madrid was a very satisfying. Not that I have anything against Real Madrid, it was just a team playing at you know optimal level, all parts clicking it was coming from everywhere real madrid were a deer in the headlights it was just football at its finest and the people comparing to the 1999 uh, manchester united club or maybe the invincibles and uh, of arsenal but uh i don't really get into that because I, I i i just don't know i mean i've seen those teams play i just don't know but right. this is a pretty special team but uh that said is inter can inter provide you see inter a lot can they provide um resistance yeah, this this Manchester City team is something that we just it's special. It's they have yes, they have spent bill, a billion plus whatever that is, but go to PSG and it has not seen the same results. There's both uh a process here and a lot of resources and what we're seeing is the most elite application of both of those things together. You give the best coach in the world everything he asks for, and this is what you get, and it is beautiful to watch. Um, it, it's This team is playing so well. I was not surprised in the slightest that Arsenal were caught. I'm an Arsenal supporter, and I was asking people why they were upset. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, this was it. Like, I was at, uh, the, the main reason I'm upset is that I have to kind of be a little bit disappointed about this season as an Arsenal supporter when this is a fantastic season if you give me this at the beginning and said hey you get to finish second you'll be back in Champions League I would have taken it hands down no questions asked I would have been so happy with this but now I'm sitting here in a weird position where I'm like disappointed because we came up against this ridiculous juggernaut that is Manchester City and they just overtook them that being said if there was a team that was going to beat 
this Manchester City would probably be Inter Milan on their day because this is this Inter Milan is two different teams. It is the wild, it, it, crazy in a one game scenario, like, yes. which they have one game have. scenario. Yes, they they can be the most chaotic, all over the place sieve. Where if you gave me two scenarios at the end of this and you told me Manchester City won five nil or Inter Milan won like in penalties, I'd believe both of them. <laughs> I would believe both of them because at their best, they can be so compact. They on the counter, they're devastating. They have a very very good goalkeeper in Andre Onana who cl- he he claims he covers his area well. He comes off his line well. Um, their back three can be very, very good. Their their wing backs can be very, very good. And their midfield three, which is their strongest, um, any combination of what is it, Parella, Mkhitaryan, um, Brozovic, or Chalanoglu, any three of them is devastating. And probably Barella always in there. Yeah. But and and their forwards are very very good. Lautaro Martinez, and, and they have like four of them. <laughs> yes, they and they have a good rotation of them. That being said, I think Manchester City will win fairly handily because I think that the way that they move the ball and the way that they capitalize on any sort of mistake is just it's it's something we haven't seen in in recent football. I think um, I think Inter have a chance, but it's it's not a big one. <laughs> no, but you made a very good case about it right there. Yeah. Uh, and man, what, I, I have how... to I have to make the case, but I have to say that I do believe City will win. <laughs> But it's how history would look upon Inter. I mean, that would be an all-timer if they can pull it off. But we'll yeah. look forward to it. We have to wait a few weeks for it, but that's yeah. coming up. Aaron West, uh, a CBS Sports Colasso, also the La Liga Zone. It's been great to chat with you. Uh, I will say this. I feel a lot smarter about a lot of things, uh, just carving a little time. You're a good dude as well, and uh, look forward to seeing you on a regular basis. Thank you so much for having me, man. It's oh. a blast. Good man, Aaron West. We'll be back with stoppage time. We'll talk a little bit about the U.S. men's national team coaching search. That's next on the Soccer OG. I probably should change stoppage time to U.S. Soccer Update. What's going on on the beautiful game here in the United States of America? Because there's a lot in here. Check out my Falar and Balogun video on YouTube under my name, Max Bretosa. Real happy of the way it came out. I think I got the information across about his arrival. He had his 20th goal for Ren, uh, which means he is, he tweeted it himself. He goes, it's thrilled to be the first American to score 20 goals in a big five league. It sounded like someone fed him that line, and I'm sure someone did, but the fact that he tweeted it anyway shows you I think he is completely on board and really getting into this U.S. culture, right? He's, it's, it, he's beaming with pride about being an American. I mean, isn't that amazing? Did you see guys like Yunus Musa or Serginho Des doing this? No, he's not. So this is very refreshing. We haven't seen a guy engaged as much. So uh, that's fantastic stuff. Uh, on, the, uh, on another player note, before we get into the Jesse Marsh information, Anthony Robinson, I see him popping up on a lot of best 11s for the Premier League. I've seen it for at least two. And I imagine more because he had a lot of uh, goal contributions. He had a lot of assists or he was involved in some goals for Fulham. So that's another that's another bright spot. You know, we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago how it's been really hard with Gio Reyna not playing. Christian Pulisic in Siberia with Chelsea. Injuries uh, amassing and it went on and on. 
Did want to also mention about the U.S. under-20s. We're keeping an eye on that. They have a game on Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time against Fiji. So we'll be tuning in. You might already know the result. I think it's safe to say the U.S. are going to beat Fiji. I think it's great that Fiji is there. Fiji, of course, have a great sporting history with rugby sevens. Uh, soccer, not so much. But there's some things happening. Oceania, you know, since Australia left, it's New Zealand. You have Fiji, Vanuatu, Solomon Islands. You know, none of those. There's going to be a, an Oceanic team in the World Cup, which there should be. In all likelihood, New Zealand. But maybe it's a Tahiti or a Fiji. We have the movie the about Americans. Is it American Samoa with Thomas Rongen? Uh, played by Michael Fassbender. When is that? And directed by uh, Waititi, Tiki Waititi. I'm sorry, I've got his name wrong. Um, who's amazing. <laughs> I watch everything he does. He uh, Going back to uh, What We Do in the Dark, was it? White, white. It's a, he's a real talent and a powerhouse. So uh, that should be coming out. Is that coming out? It's not going to be out in the theaters. But uh, Taiki Waititi, sorry to the fantastic, talented Kiwi director. So I'm completely off track there talking about Fiji. So the U.S. should advance, and that'll make them 2-0 because they scored the goal, Jonathan Gomez, in stoppage time against Ecuador, which we thought was the toughest team in the group. Slovakia beat Fiji convincingly, so maybe Slovakia is going to be tricky, but the Ecuador win means the U.S. are in the round of 16. Remember, there's some third-place teams. But if they win the group, I mean, I was watching this Italy-Brazil. There's some talent there. It may not be the best Italy or best Brazil team, but those were some good squads. I like this U.S. team. It doesn't have a superstar like Gio Reyna or Serginho Dest or Christian Pulisic. It doesn't. But there is a, a spirit from the first player to the 21st player I think all of them could play. There's a couple guys that are going to be arriving late in Kevin Paredes and Cade Cowell. But even with that group, you have a little bit of everything, right? You have guys that can play multiple positions. It's a it's a good collective group. Can they win it? There's I don't know. In a big tournament where you have to win all those games. But I can see them doing, making a semifinal. I like this team for that. I think that's kind of where we are. I don't, know we, I don't know if we're going to be producing superstar players, but we'll be producing good collective groups, which is a lot of nations that have uh, performed very well. I mean, Germany, remember when they won in 2014? Who was, the, who was the superstar on that team? You know, Italy won the Euros. You know, they didn't qualify for the World Cup. Uh, who was the star on that team? You can't, so maybe we can have that identity. So let's get to Jesse Marsh. Real quickly, I want to touch on that. Because it's it's pretty embryonic as it stands. We heard um, when Matt Crocker took over the sporting director position of U.S. soccer that he had a relationship, that he tried to hire um, Jesse Marsh for Southampton. And that immediately told us that this was made a lot of sense. It made too much sense, if you ask me. I mean, it's like the easy way out in many ways. But um, that's that's all right. That's all right if that's the best option, but is it? I mean, I find it hard to believe that after all this Greg Berhalter hullabaloo that we're going to hire someone who pretty much kind of is Greg Berhalter. <laughs> I know some of you don't rate Greg Berhalter, but you look, I mean, obviously the paths are different as Jesse went to Europe and was able to have some success coaching Champions League, get the, get the Leipzig job, get the Leeds job. Neither lasted very long. I'm sure he wants to try himself out. We'll see what Greg Berhalter does. 
Now, did I, was this an opportunity to go big European? Yeah. I mean, this is the biggest job in U.S. soccer history to be the coach of the team for the World Cup that they host. Uh, I, I rate Jesse very highly. But, I mean, there are some flaws in what we've seen it. But I, I just, it just doesn't feel the gradual move to go from Greg Berhalter to Jesse Marsh, who has some similar stylistic elements. And I hope it's not a case where he's getting it because it was convenient because of the relationship with Matt Crocker. Uh, I don't know what to... I, I, I want someone in that position. And it sounds like we might get the announcement and he'll take over probably after the Gold Cup. Um, so those are rumors, but they're pretty firmed up in many ways. Uh, remember, he almost took over Southampton. He almost took over... Who else did he over, almost take over? Was it Leicester? Well, there's a second team that uh, kicked the tires there on uh, Jesse Marsh. But... Uh, I don't see a lot of excitement. He, I, look, he is, is he more accomplished than Greg Berhalter? Absolutely. Uh, is it a step ahead? Sure. Um, but it's, again, it's not the sexiest move from one to the next. And I think there's going to be similar player issues with the coach uh, on what is required and w what Jesse Marshall will be demanding from them. You know, we had like guys like Patrick Vieira, maybe he would come, or um, Yergi Love. I don't, I don't know who was considered, but it's, uh, uh, there were some names that obviously were a lot more exciting. Just because Jesse Marsh has, I mean, it's been, it's been failure with what he's done. Granted, it's grandiose failure because he's doing it at the highest levels of, for an American coach that's never been done before. Uh, maybe he gets a good staff around him, and that could change things. It's also, I think, people are looking at the same coaching tree. You know, you had the, the Bruce Arena tree, the Bob Bradley tree, and all the guys that have come down from there. And there's a lot of crisscrossing. There's a lot of relationships. He certainly plays in there. I want to have a connection to American soccer as a coach or a sporting director. You know, Oguchi Onyewu was brought on board, too. I, I want that somewhere. I, I find it comforting. Maybe I'm alone in that. But um, it is, is this the right one? Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I also don't think we have the super talented team uh, for the uh, for the U.S. national team that we have projected we're going to win a World Cup as soon as 2026. We're not there. And our star players are dealing with, you know, a lot of issues, certainly with their new club. Granted, it's 2023, and that should get fixed by 2026, you would hope. But here we go. We're getting started. The Soccer OG, rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. Thanks for everyone who has tuned in. As always, great to be with you for this. It is cathartic as well as I get things off my chest after the horrible weekend of stuff that we had to see. But we're, we stick together here. We love this sport. We do everything to put it over. So until I see you next time... Placido Domingo!